Welcome to On Point and Counterpoint's podcast, episode 29. Folks, there have been a couple of very big news stories to break since my last podcast, and I'm going to cover those in this episode. First, on Thursday, March 28th, the city received approval from the Georgia Department of Transportation for the South Pine Tree Boulevard plan, approved with a three-to-one vote by the city council. This plan calls for Pine Tree to be resurfaced from West Jackson um, around to Old Monticello Road. It calls for turn lanes to be built at Jackson, MLK, and the southwestern entrance. It calls for a five-foot sidewalk to be built on the inside or the north side of Pine Tree from Jackson Street to Magnolia. And it calls for a traffic circle to be built at the intersection of Magnolia and Pine Tree. The road will remain at its current 22-foot-wide configuration, except for the three places where a left turn lane is going to be installed. So, hallelujah, the three-lane insanity that began last February when Monty Lewis directed Greg Hobbs and David Huffstetler to go back to the old three-lane county plan appears to finally be dead. It has taken an unbelievable amount of effort from so many in this community to stop the city council, particularly Hobbs, Huffstetler, and Terry Scott, who were all a part of the cabal to ambush the citizens of this community and to adopt the three-lane plan before any community feedback could be heard by the council. Now, when this plan was approved by the city council during the January 28th meeting, here is how the vote went down. Chairman of this board, I'm following Robert Rules of Order, and I live at 101 Heisman Way, and my property is adjacent to this property. And I have been advised that right now, we don't know if it's a conflict for me or not at this time. So I'm going to abstain from discussion and voting. Okay. I'll only entertain a motion in a second and carry the vote through for you. Unless it's a tie. And I... (laughs) Oh, it, am I correct, Mr. Yes, if, you're, if you're abstaining, then it would abstain from the from the discussion and from the vote, even gotcha. if there is a tie. Gotcha. So Hobbs finally fesses up to having a conflict of interest, so he not only can't vote, he can't participate in the discussion or the decision. Okay, y'all pay attention to that. It will be important later. Then, after the plan receives a motion and a second, David Huffstetler says this. I'm going to make a statement. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be on the losing end of of this vote, but let me explain in short the reason why. Uh, I've been in touch with our state representatives, and there's a chance, and, and I don't know how to measure that chance, but it's more than I'm willing to take the risk over $3 million. There's a chance that we submit... Plan B, which is so far removed from what was originally proposed, beginning back in 2012 all the way to now, there's a chance we'll lose us $3 million. Again, I'm sure I'm going to be on the losing end, and I hope everything goes as planned, but I'm just not willing to take that risk. So I'll be voting against it. Any further discussion? Hearing none, I will call the question. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed say nay. Nay. 
Okay, the motion passes three to one. So, despite Huffstetler's concerns about GDOT not approving the plan and his much-repeated lie that the three-lane plan was approved in the 2012 SPLOS referendum, to the approval of the audience, the plan passes. So, after this vote, the three-lane plan is finally dead, right? Folks, just like a character from a cheesy horror movie, just like a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees, the three-lane plan, even when you think it has breathed its last, springs back into life one final time. So Huffstetler expressed concerns that GDOT wasn't going to approve this plan supported by, the, by a majority of the council and overwhelmingly by the community. Does Huffstetler, along with his buddy Hobbs, let the GDOT review of this plan happen without interference? By now, you have to know the answer to this. Of course they don't. Here's what they did. Hobbs and Huffstetler set up a meeting with the GDOT folks who were reviewing this plan for March 28th. These two, one who voted against the plan and one who abstained from voting because he had a conflict of interest, anoint themselves as the secret committee to represent Thomasville with GDOT. They planned on skulking off to Atlanta to meet with GDOT without telling the other council members, all who voted for the plan, about their clandestine trip. The other council members only found out about these two, sh these two shenanigans when, oops, the folks at GDOT called the city to find out who was going to attend the meeting. Now, what were these two planning to do up in Atlanta when they met with GDOT? Were they going to lobby for GDOT to approve the plan passed by the council? Were they, go were they going to use their immense combined credibility to make sure that the majority of the council's plan was approved and the city didn't lose the $3 million in funding? It, folks, if that were the case, they wouldn't have kept this meeting secret. But they did. And I understand that several of those council members are livid about this. Again, the other council members only found out about this meeting after GDOT called the city, just one or two days before the meeting happened. So GDOT spoils these two's, these two's plan to weasel off to Atlanta in what you have to assume was going to be some effort to force the city to go with a different plan than the one approved by the council. Again, if this wasn't the case, there was no reason to keep this secret from the other council members. Were they going to try to get GDOT to force the three-lane plan on Thomasville's? On Thomasville? Huffstetler's continued lies about the 2012 SPLOSH referendum certainly support this. Were Hobbs and Huffstetler going to tell GDOT that the plan approved by the council went against the voters' wishes from the imaginary ballot language back in 2012? Who knows what these two were trying to, to get from GDOT, but clearly, if this was on the up and up, they wouldn't have kept this secret from the rest of the council. 
So, after, the machi- after their machinations are revealed, instead of the dynamic duo of Hobbs and Huffsteller going to Atlanta to meet with GDOT, Alan Carson, the city manager, Chris White, the assistant superintendent of utilities, Wayne Newsom, the city engineer, and ironically, in what was probably his last meeting in that position, at least for a while, the then mayor, Greg Hobbs, make the trip to Atlanta and received approval from GDOT for the two-lane plan. Hopefully, the monster really is dead this time. Hopefully, the three-lane plan doesn't pull another Jason or Freddy and reemerge from the ashes. The council, with the overwhelming support of this community, chose a fantastic plan for the road, which will largely be paid for out of GDOT funding. Hopefully, the next time we hear about this mess is when bids go out to build that plan. Hopefully, Hobbs and Huffstetler's three-lane plan is finally dead. Obviously, the other big news relating to the city of Thomasville recently is the governor's suspension of Greg Hobbs. Hobbs was indicted on February 7 by a Thomas County grand jury for six criminal counts, basically stemming from allegations of falsely accusing two city employees of forging his signature. I covered that, uh, that, that in detail in episode 27 of this podcast, so it doesn't need recovering here. Subsequent to his indictment, on the 25th of March, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp appointed a commission comprised of the mayor of America's Georgia, the mayor of Sugar Hill, Georgia, and Georgia's attorney general. This commission was charged by the governor to, and I'll quote here, quote, determine whether the indictment relates to and adversely affects the administration of the office of mayor by Mr. Hobbs, such that the rights and interests of the public are adversely affected, and to make a written report to me, me being the governor, within 14 days with a recommendation as to whether said mayor should be suspended from office as required by OCGA, that's Official Code of Georgia, Section 45-5-6E, end quote. Okay, so when the governor appointed this commission, I was pretty certain that Mr. Hobbs' term as mayor was coming to an end, or at least an interruption. Since 2011, Georgia governors have appointed 30, 31 now with Mr. Hobbs, uh, but they have appointed 30 review uh, commissions prior to Mr. Hobbs. Again, this is since 2011. Of these 30, 25 resulted in a suspension with four resigning from office before that action could be taken by the governor. So only one time since 2011 has a review commission been appointed, and the elected official who was the subject of that review commission um, remain in office unsuspended. Now, that one case involved the mayor of Mount Vernon, Georgia, involving a very strange case, which, although it's kind of interesting, has absolutely no bearing here. Um, Many of the office holders whose review commissions resulted 
in suspensions, appeared to be charged with what looked like much less serious allegations than Mr. Hobbs' indictment alleges. So again, once this commission was appointed, it, it was a near certainty, uh, to, at least to me, that a suspension was going to follow. Okay, in fairness to Mr. Hobbs, this needs to be pointed out. At least as I understand, this commission wasn't charged with making any kind of determination of guilt or innocence, weighing the merits of the case, etc. And the language in the governor's executive order supports this. But what they were supposed to do is to make a, deter- a determination if because of the indictment, the elected official, in this case, Greg Hobbs, ability to perform his duties is negatively affected, and if the citizens are negatively affected by having an an indicted elected official in office. Now, as all of the counts of, of Mr. Hobbs' indictment involve allegations relating to Mr. Hobbs' interactions with city employees and state law enforcement, I think it would be very difficult or even impossible for the governor or the review commission to make a determination that the indictment didn't adversely affect Mr. Hobbs' ability to perform his duties. Okay, so Mr. Hobbs is suspended. What happens next? I said on episode 27 of this podcast that the governor appoints someone to replace Hobbs, and that was incorrect. That would only apply if Thomasville's city charter was silent with regard to a suspended official, which ours is not. Per the charter, the rest of the city council, obviously not including Mr. Hobbs, will appoint someone to fill this seat until Hobbs' suspension ends. I will address the ways his suspension can end in a minute. Okay, The city press release says that the council will take applications from citizens to fill this seat. Okay, the city council must appoint someone eligible or or qualified um, to this seat. In other words, the council must appoint someone who could have stood for election against Mr. Hobbs. That means that anyone who is appointed must be a District 1 resident. I assume for at least one year, as you would be if you were try- if you were going to qualify to run for the office, and in general, uh, not be barred from running for office for some other reason. Okay, that's it. That's the council's only uh, constraints. Other than those requirements, it's completely up to the council to appoint anyone they feel appropriate to fill Mr. Hobbs' seat until his suspension ends. Okay. How can Hobbs' suspension end? One way would be for Mr. Hobbs to be acquitted on all charges at trial. Uh, There is a requirement that the suspended official be brought to trial relatively quickly. As I understand it, uh, this might be in August of this year. But I also understand that if Mr. Hobbs or his attorneys make certain pretrial motions, this speedy trial provision is irrelevant. 
Another way for the suspension to end would be if Mr. Hobbs were to resign. If he resigned his office, um, the District 1 Seat 2 Council member, uh, that would mean that the seat would be vacant and a different section of the charter uh, would come into play, regard, uh, thus requiring a special election. Okay, another way the suspension could end would be if Mr. Hobbs was found guilty of these charges, and this is the key, and he had exhausted all of his appeals. If this were to happen, his office would then become vacant, and again, a different section of the city charter would come into play. And then finally, if none of those happen, the suspension will end uh, in December of 2021 when Hobbs' term of office uh, ends following an election uh, for that office in November of 2021. So this drama may take a long time to play out, and it's very likely there will be many more twists and turns in this tale before we reach the end. For example... Depositions in the civil lawsuits that have been filed against the city and city, uh, certain city council members um, should begin soon, maybe before the end of April. Once the three council members being sued individually, that's Hobbs, Huffsteller, and Scott, begin testifying under oath, there is literally no telling what may emerge. Also, I assume that eventually, and probably sooner rather than later, Huffstetler and Hobbs are going to be forced to produce records subject to Georgia's open records laws that they have been hiding. This has been covered on this podcast before, but it is my understanding that Hobbs has produced nothing, that's zilp, zilch, nothing, in response to the open records requests. His indictment and suspension from office will not make this problem go away from him. Also, Huffstetler has produced some of the required communications, but and it's impossible to see how this could be, be disputed. He is hiding a large amount of those communications. Georgia law does allow for elected officials to keep certain communications confidential, but those exceptions are, in, in, in most cases, very specific and clearly have no application to the communications that Huffstetler is hiding. There are at least 99 text messages that Mr. Huffstetler chose to hide with a black magic marker so that they couldn't be read. And, and those that 99 does not count the ones between him and his attorney, which probably are subject to uh, attorney-client privilege. I assume, and, and obviously I can only assume at this point, but I assume that sometimes, sometime relatively soon this charade will end with a court order compelling these two to comply with state law. Now, as some of the communications that have seen the light of day are bad, in some cases very bad, I can only assume that some of these communications being hidden by Hobbs and Huffstetler are being hidden by them for a very good reason, that those hidden communications will create serious problems for them if they are revealed. 
I'm pretty sure that some of these communications are just crude and offensive, but it is possible, probable even, that these communications would make the legal problems seen thus far pale in comparison. Folks, these are interesting times for our community. As I discussed in an earlier episode, cartographers uh, used to write uh, at the edge of their maps, here there be dragons, uh, meaning that this is the edge of the known world. Folks, so much of what we are seeing in this community is now so unprecedented. We are so far off the map that it seems like we're in the middle of a swarm of dragons. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back soon.